This morning we're going to um, take another step toward becoming contagious Christians, and I wanted to say just a, a word about that theme. If you come here and perhaps even before worship, you might ask yourself, what's supposed to be happening to me because I attend Menlo Park Presbyterian Church? If I look over a year's time, what is God trying to do for me? And I, I ask that question a lot about um, not just myself, but all of us. And I want to kind of put it into a sentence that I believe that our call as Christians is to become like Jesus Christ. That's a lifetime journey. And what it means to become like Jesus is to become more caring and loving as he is caring and loving. So that we become a kind of individual that's a, a light in the midst of uh, darkness, a, a caring person in the midst of a society that's becoming less caring. That we become a family in a society that's losing family. So that broken people, needy people, wounded people, when they come here get drowned in love that they don't understand. It seems to me that that's what the early church in the book of Acts did. The attractive magnet that made it explode with growth was that in an impersonal, decadent, violent society, somehow that church was an oasis, a, a light. And, and that's my dream, and I do, I do believe it's God's dream for us. That increasingly, why are you here? To become more like Jesus, and that means to become more loving, loving and caring and less selfish and less consumed with self and less bought into the lifestyle of the peninsula and more bought into the lifestyle of the New Testament. Now, with all that said, it's done in little chunks, and today is one more chunk. That if the Holy Spirit can break our preoccupation with our needs and prayers for ourselves and put our attention on the needs of others, we'll have taken another step to become like Jesus, and that's what intercessory prayer is all about, and that's what we're going to study this morning. Uh, would you bow in prayer with me? Lord Jesus, when we followed you as a Christian, we said we want to become like you, and we cannot in our own strength, and we discover the longer we're Christians, we realize the longer that journey is to become like you. And it has many detours. But my prayer is that your Holy Spirit will work in us today, no matter what our needs, and there are many here who have a lot of personal pain, that I pray that somehow we'll look beyond all the stuff our society sells, beyond our own pain, and have a growing passion that would be your passion, and that is to care for that person you've laid on our heart to pray for and care for, and in so doing, that we become like you. Lord, work that miracle so that many people this week will be prayed for because we worship today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Robert Urich, a well-known actor, is recovering from a recent bout with cancer. Maybe you saw his interview. I was impressed by it where he was relating uh, to uh, a person on CNN how overwhelmed he felt by the love he received and the many letters he received during his illness from people he didn't even know. And he, he said one thing that caught my attention. He said, why some of those people even said they were praying for me, and I'm sure it helped. Now, I don't know where Mr. Urich is spiritually, but somehow he understood the value of someone praying for him during his long bout with chemo and all that, the, the stuff that went with it. And he said it was like a touch of love. And that's what prayer is. Today, we're going to study the promises of Jesus regarding intercessory prayer, praying for someone else beside ourselves. As our church family continues this long and arduous journey to become contagious Christians, I, I want to highlight again today, no matter what 
what else you've done maybe for that person God's laid on your heart since September. I hope you've been praying for them. Because without prayer, we really can't do too much significance of significance in the life of another. Because it takes supernatural power to impact a person that we want to reach for Jesus Christ. So let's study our text and see what it says. And, and, and it raises the first and obvious question. Why pray for others? Because prayer is a valuable way of caring for a person in need. We have a lot of ideas of how to love Jesus says praying for that person, bringing divine resources to bear through the vehicle of our hearts to that person is one of the greatest ways to love. The second reason we pray for others is that most of the needs of people we want to address in the lives of those around us, most of those needs are beyond our personal capacity to help. I don't know about you, but the people I'm meeting with have problems far bigger, pain far greater than anything I can address or help. They're all God-sized. And then, maybe this is a, one of the most important reasons we pray for others, is that often in times of personal distress, and maybe you're there this morning, in times of great personal pain, you just don't have any words. You can't pray for yourself. Yesterday, we had a real shock here in the church. Uh, one of our church school teachers gave birth to a baby boy, and she died uh, in childbirth. And Jane was with her all day yesterday. In fact, Jane was so drained this morning, we just excused her from 8 a.m. worship. But when the husband called to Jay yesterday, he, he couldn't pray. His pain was just too great, so Jay prayed for him. That's one of the real reasons we pray for others, because when you're really in the deepest valleys, you can't pray. And why we have this community. We pray for each other. The text says, and this is the good news, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. That applies to the prayers we pray for others, not just for ourselves. Intercessory prayer, if you study the book of Acts, was really the power source of the early church. I'm intrigued by the early church, and I'm always wondering, what did they have we don't? And it always comes out one thing. They prayed. They prayed to heal sick bodies. Uh, they prayed to open spiritually blind eyes to the gospel, and above all, they prayed for each other to sustain them in times of intense suffering and persecution. The coming of the Holy Spirit was one of the most dramatic evidence that the Spirit came was that those people prayed believing, and they had power as the result of their prayers. People began, you see, to experience that God wasn't some sacred blob in the universe. He was a father with a beating heart who loved and knew each of his children by name and who through prayer would intervene personally in the lives and needs of his children. That was new. And that was explosive in terms of how it impacted the church and caused growth. If we got personal today, I wonder how many of us are in church this morning because someone prayed for us. A mom, a dad, families, friends. I wonder how many of us have been sustained during traumatic times or are being sustained right now in times of distress through the prayers of others. You see, praying for others breaks us out of the prison of self that our society every hour of every day is seeking to lock us in because everything we hear on television, most of the culture around us is look out for number one and take care of self because nobody else will. And we're becoming kind of insulated, isolated creatures from each other. Praying for others breaks us out of that prison. 
I was walking between sessions at Fuller Seminary last week, and one of the woman's students passed me. She was just crying, uh, just an avalanche of tears. And I didn't know her, and I, as we were going to pass, I wanted to reach out to her and at least tell her that no matter how big her needs were that day, we, we knew that none of them were too big for God to handle, but it didn't seem appropriate to talk to her. So we just passed. But as we passed, I decided I'd pray for her. Later it occurred to me that in praying at that moment, I had done something significant for that stranger that God had laid on my heart. And maybe I was the only person praying for her needs and I didn't even know what they were, but I held her before the Lord. And I thought that's a nudge of the Spirit, sort of like the song, every time I feel the Spirit, I pray. If we allow the Holy Spirit to develop in us the habit of praying for others, we'll get nudges and we'll do it. Rather than running from or insulating ourselves against human pain, we can offer hurting people divine resources. I, I'm amazed at how insulated and isolated our society is becoming and how really incapable most people are of responding to people's pain. I was in a store the other day and I, I just heard this woman tell the clerk, uh, I guess she was hurting so much that her husband was over at cancer, uh, having cancer therapy at Stanford and she just needed to tell someone and the clerk she just said, oh. And I, I thought, you know, that's really how it is today. If, if, if God doesn't put the heart of Jesus Christ in us, when crying people reach out to us, people in pain and hurting, we just insulate ourselves, we isolate. We don't know how to crawl in and take care, but we Christians are different. In a society that's losing its heart, we can gain the heart of Jesus. Uh, last week, I had a casual conversation with a person not in our church down here on Santa Cruz. A mother knew I was a pastor, and she just came up and mentioned to me her concern for her teenage son. And I listened to her, and as I left, I, I simply said to her, and I meant it, I'll pray for you, and I'll pray for your son. And I could tell from her eyes, my promise to pray offered more help than any advice I, I could have given her on the spot. And in the next few moments, after, as I left her, I did pray for that boy and his mother. And I want to tell you, I think it's extremely important to tell someone that we're going to pray for them, but then above all, do it. Otherwise, the phrase, I'll pray for you, is meaningless. And in many Christian circles, it's become meaningless. We almost say, I'll pray for you, like we say hello. And the people we say that to, it has about that impact. Because we've come to the place where, pray, I'll pray for you is a cliche. And in our church, I want it to be a commitment. And when the person hears it, they'll know something's different in their lives. Because I'm being prayed for by the community of faith. And Jesus says, God will answer our prayers for others. I had a small but very powerful illustration of that in my life recently. In January, I was preaching this service at 8 o'clock, and I had one whale of a cold, and you didn't know it, but about the last three minutes of the sermon, I knew my voice was just going, and it went just about when I had the prayer. And as I walked into the sacristy, there was no human way I was going to make it through 9.30 and 11, so I was just about ready to have Jay take over my manuscript but some elders came in and staff was there and they decided to pray for me right before the 9.30 service. And following their prayer support, I felt a new surge of strength and I went through the next two services and I didn't even cough. A miracle? I need to tell you, I believe so. A small illustration of the power of praying for others. And not all of our prayers for others are that dramatic or that instantaneous. 
But I do want the Holy Spirit to galvanize into our hearts this truth today. God answers prayer. And when you and I come into each other's lives, whether we're in a covenant group or wherever, and we hear huge needs and huge pain, we don't have to run, we don't have to insulate ourselves, we're not hopeless and we're not helpless as we relate to that person. We can bring to them the power of God. And we serve a God with whom, for whom, nothing is impossible. And I think that's incredible news. You see, prayer opens that potential for us to give people in pain more than sympathy, more than compassion, or as society would give them happily, more than indifference. We can offer them hope. We can give assurance there is a God who's watching, who's keeping, who's caring, and he's going to act in our behalf. We can remind them nothing is impossible with God. Now, if you're a rational person, you're going to say, why does God need my prayers to help somebody? I don't know. But somehow, God has limited his ability or the vehicle for him to work in somebody's life is dependent upon us praying for them. Not totally, not absolute, but somehow there's a correlation. And that's God's decision, and it's in Scripture, so we just do it. Of course God can help somebody without our prayers, but he's chosen not to. He could win the whole world without our preaching, but now he's meant, made the dependence on, of people finding Jesus through the preaching of preachers like us. People need your prayers. They can't survive without them. Remember, when we are praying for others, we are not overcoming God's reluctance, but we're laying hold of his highest willingness. He wants to heal and to touch and to help children that he loves more than you and I love them. But they need our prayers. So I want to ask you, really, do, do you pray for others? Have you prayed for anybody this week when they're in complex crises and needs? And then, do you tell them you're praying for them? One very honest lady told us Thursday morning, she said, you know, I hate to tell people I'm praying for them in case the prayer isn't answered, and then I feel embarrassed. That's honest. But, you know, it's okay. The very act of saying, I'm taking you to God and we're going to let God decide the answer. That's the act of love. Uh, many times I feel an urge to pick up the phone and tell a person that I'm thinking about them. And I just wanted them to know I'm praying for them. And you know, in most cases when I call, they said, how did you know that, that I needed help today? In fact, I had that experience just last Friday morning. Usually that's my day off. I walked into the office about five seconds after I was there. A friend called. And he just said, you know, I was thinking about you. And I said to him, how did you know? I've had a hard week. I was pretty drained. And he just said, well, I just want to let you know I care for you and I'm praying for you. And I can't tell you what that phone call and what his prayers meant on a heavy day for me. So as we continue our adventure in becoming contagious Christians, whatever else you're going to do for any person, follow a nudge of the Spirit and pray for them. And I repeat, prayer is an incredible way to love because it does represent God's power to heal and speak to a person's deepest needs where we as human beings can't even begin to enter that person's life at that depth. Now, I need to add this as a little P.S., 
And this is where it breaks down often in intercessory prayer. Remember when we pray for others, it's not our responsibility to solve their problems. It's God's responsibility to do the healing, to do the responding. One of the struggles that I find people have in intercessory prayer is they often say, well, I am absolutely exhausted getting involved with this person and praying for them and meeting their needs. I, I open the door and they just get on me like a parasite and I don't have anything left and I want to run away. Jesus never says anything about it being our responsibility to answer the prayer for the person we're praying for. That's God's job. Our, our responsibility solely is to hold that person before the Lord with their needs and then let them know we're putting them in God's hands and it's God's timing, God's way, God's power that's going to do it. And if we ever get those two confused, we will fall in exhaustion. If we attempt to care for people without praying, we'll fall in exhaustion. And if we pray for people and then try to be God in terms of making us the answer, we will fall in exhaustion. So this leads us to a final issue in the text. If we're not called to answer the prayer, but we're called to pray, well, well, what is our primary responsibility? And it's there in the verbs. We're called to practice persistency in intercessory prayer. The text says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And ask him is that beautiful Greek linear tense, and it means it's, it, it's continual. What Jesus is saying here is that God will answer prayers, but he gives no time frame, and he gives no way in terms of it won't be according to how we dictate. Persistency in prayer is uh, indicated, if I was translating it literally in our text, continually ask and it will be given you. Continually knock and it will be open. Keep on seeking and you will find. Last night in the children's sermon, it was beautifully illustrated because we're in an instant gratification society. And um, Brett was telling us that uh, he used to like cream of wheat when he was a kid. Many of us did. I remembered that. I resonated. It used to take a half an hour to cook cream of wheat. And then they came up with 10 minutes. And then they came up with um, one minute. And then now they have packets that you open and you put hot water and it's instant. And his point was that this is how we get with prayer. We used to be willing to wait with God because it was a slower society. Now we want God to be there like that instantly with just what we ask. And when it doesn't happen, we think he's let us down. This text does not promise instant responses to our prayer. That's why we have to be persistent a video several weeks ago, if you remember, highlighted a deacon in our church who prayed for her brother to come to Christ and her prayer was answered 23 years later. We gave away roses here eight, eight years ago. Roses are still coming in and most of them are still out. There are good reasons for persistency in prayer for others, if you think about it. Persistent prayer is not to overcome God's reluctance but to allow us time to align our limited wills, our limited knowledge with God's perfect will and his perfect timing. Persistency in prayer reminds us prayer is not a magical source for instant gratification. Prayer is not a way to dictate to or manipulate God to do it our way. 
Most of the time in my history of prayer, we're, I, I find I and we are forced to wait. I get very few instant answers to my prayer like the sacristy prayer when I got over my cold. Most of the time we have to fight to make logical sense out of what seems to be God's absurd and unloving responses. Uh, many of us are frustrated because we want God to be faster. <laughs> Last week, I was absolutely blown away at this new television commercial. There's a, a, new, a new commercial on, I think it's CNN, I'm not sure which, advertising a 900 phone number and for $3 a minute, you can get someone to pray for you with guaranteed results. <laughs> That's a fact. This is absolutely a commercial venture now where they had testimonials. I called and someone prayed for me and I got the job. Or I called and, and I got, I got, I got. And I thought, Lord, that's about prayer, but that's not Christian prayer. You don't sell prayer for $3 a minute. <laughs> but you know, look at you, look at me, look at ourselves. Don't sometimes we hold similar expectations of prayer? We want it to be a magical source for instant gratification. We want to feel the power that we can come and pray for somebody and wham, it's there. But you know, if that happened, God wouldn't get the glory. We would. When God doesn't respond immediately, sometimes then we begin to doubt and we get skeptical and we get angry. And the point is that for many of us, there's a vast gap between what we say we believe about prayer and what we actually believe about prayer. And it isn't new. This has been a problem in the church since the book of Acts. Remember where Herod, when Herod put Peter in prison and it said earnest prayer was being made for Peter by the church. Chained hand and foot, surrounded by Roman guards, their request to have this guy released seemed impossible. But God sent an angel and led Peter out of the prison, right past the guards. And then he came knocking at the door where the prayer meeting was being held and nobody could believe he was there. They thought he was a ghost. And if you analyze the situation, it indicated those praying were not really expecting God to respond to their requests. Not then, not now. And that's our weakness in intercessory prayer. Jesus tells us God answers our prayers not some of the time, but all of the time. And sometimes his answers don't correlate with our logic, and they don't have to. He's God, not us. Sometimes we're called to wait. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes his answers seem like a stone or a snake. And yet Jesus assures us that all of God's answers and his timing to our prayers for others are wrapped in his tender love, which is far deeper than our love. Jesus said if we ask God for bread, he won't send us a stone. If we ask for a fish, he won't send a snake. Or as the writer of Proverbs tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I've concluded maybe it's only going to be in heaven that the veil will be lifted on some of God's responses to our prayers that we don't understand right now. But personally, I, I, I am delighted in retrospect that God has not answered all of my prayers for other people. Have you ever asked God to do something for someone which you thought had to be right then and exactly as you prayed it, and then a few months later you look back and said, if God had answered that prayer, it would have been a disaster. But I do need to raise this question before you go home. What do we do when God's responses to our prayers seem like stones or snakes? And we've all had that experience. We prayed for healing and the person died. 
We prayed for a marriage and there was a divorce. We prayed for financial help and the person lost everything and didn't get the job. I can affirm with every bit of conviction in my heart, huge disappointments do not deny God's promise to answer our prayers. There is always one truth we can share with a person for whom we prayed and the answer isn't what we wanted or expected. We can say, God is good and God is loving and in the long measure of his goodness and his love, he will be vindicated. And you can stake time and eternity on that. So as we go into another week, I want to give us a challenge. I want us to ask God to lay a person on our hearts, if that hasn't happened already, for whom we should be praying. And I want to challenge us to begin praying for that person with expectancy and with persistency. Pray while you're driving, <coughs> walking between appointments. You might even consider joining one of our prayer groups, if you haven't, to pray with and for others. I invite any of you to come Thursday morning to the church library. There's a group that prays for the church and for me every Thursday morning. I couldn't survive without it that early hour. Now we're going to do something today to remind you of that challenge. As you leave today at every door, we haven't given rosebuds for about seven years. We're going to give white rosebuds today. These rosebuds are to be taken and held until the person you care about who's facing an impossible need, until that person is the one you're praying for until that prayer is answered. And then I want you to send the rose back to me with a letter explaining what the prayer was and what the answer was. And we're going to put it on a cross and hang it on this pulpit on Easter 1998. You remember the red roses and our red wreath that we hang at Christmas time. Well, now we're going to have a white cross with white rosebuds. And they're going to symbolize answers to our intercessory prayers for others. Hundreds of them, hopefully thousands of them. I believe we're going to see living proof of this truth. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. And I'm confident of that because I know Jesus wants us to pray for others. And I know God will answer our prayers. Let me close with a word from Edmund Rowles about prayer. Praying is a precious privilege. Through prayer, you may find relief from anxiety and fear. Through prayer, you may find fellowship with God and enjoy a blessed peace. But sometimes you may be too sick to pray or too tired. Or it may seem that God isn't listening or you hardly know what to pray for. What then? Then it's good to know that many others are praying for you. Loved ones, family, friends are lifting you up in prayer before God. And Jesus himself continues to pray for you in heaven itself. And the Holy Spirit, too, who knows all your needs, presents them perfectly before your Father in heaven. Because all of that is true. We're now going to take a few moments of just quiet and prayer in this worship service, and I'm going to have you begin praying for that person that I hope God has laid on your heart. And we're going to do that even before we close today. Let's bow in prayer.
Lord Jesus, we don't understand it, but we certainly celebrate it today that somehow from our prayers reaching out to a person, your supernatural power becomes active and, a, and something is going to happen in the life of the person we prayed for. Increase our faith to believe that. Increase our willingness to break out of our cocoons of self and to be sensitive to the nudges of your spirit so that many times every day we can give this act of love of praying for someone else. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.